Oh, I, I really find it easy to just say, right, Lindsay, at the yeah. end of my preamble. And that's a really <laughs> easy indicator. That's going to be one of our t-shirts one day is just right, Lindsay. And I'm like, that's oh right, Michelle. Gosh. That's all it's going to say on the front and back. On the, on the back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The first item in our merch shop. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 55. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about the four temperaments. As Socrates once famously and simply said, know thyself. A healthy sense of self-awareness can really come in handy if you're trying to be better and grow in understanding of your relationships and circumstances. There are a myriad of personality typing systems out there, but today we're going to focus on just one, the four temperaments, and how learning more about yours can affect your life. But first, if you are enjoying the Modern Lady Podcast, we would be so honored if you could take a minute to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a minute, but it really helps us stand out. When you take the time to comment on our podcast, it truly makes our day. This week's shout out goes to Emily Spess, who left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and said, quote, I love these women. I look forward to their podcast each week. They are warm and relatable while also providing great information on relevant topics. Listening to the Modern Lady podcast is like sitting around your kitchen table having coffee with good friends. Keep up the good work, ladies. End quote. Thank you so much for your review, Emily. We are so glad to have you at the table for our weekly coffee and chat. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Today's tip isn't really a tip. It's a cool bit of historical trivia, and it's something that my husband Jason actually stumbled across and suggested that I looked further into for the podcast. So Michelle, can you finish this rhyme for me? Yankee Doodle went to town, riding on a pony, stuck a feather in his cap, and called it... Macaroni. Have you ever (laughs) wondered why the heck he called it macaroni? Yes, I have. And I'm sure you're going to tell me why it is. (laughs) Let me tell you. (laughs) Well, in the mid-1700s, there was a group of British young men that had gone to Italy as part of their grand tour. And they grew fond of the pasta called macaroni. And I mean, who isn't fond of macaroni? (laughs) And they brought that term back to England. And they created the Macaroni Club. And they used the term macaroni to describe anything that was super trendy and fashionable. Today, we might call these people extra, like he's so extra. They weren't just following the style of the day. These men went over and above. I'm talking powdered wigs so tall with a hat perched so high on top that they had to use a sword to get the hat off. And perhaps you're more familiar with the term that was used for these men in the Victorian times, which were dandies, like a Yankee Doodle dandy. Well, how does Yankee Doodle fit into all of this? 
a British surgeon wrote the little ditty while participating in the American Revolutionary War, and it was meant to taunt and poke fun at the Americans, who couldn't possibly be as fashionable as their British counterparts, being all New World and so on. (laughs) So this American Yankee Doodle character was so out of the fashion loop that he really thought that by just putting a feather in his cap, he could consider himself trendy and fashionable, which made the Brits have a good laugh, or should I say chortle, if I'm going to be more. (laughs) British. (laughs) So there you go. That's why it was called macaroni. That is so fascinating. Although I have to say, um, you know, if you're someone who has to put your hat on via a sword, (laughs) yes, (laughs) because your hair is so high, (laughs) um, perhaps sticking a feather in your cap is not that weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. St. Teresa of Avila once said, quote, Self-knowledge is so important that even if you were raised right up to the heavens, I should like you never to relax your cultivation of it. End quote. A thorough understanding of self is a great way to grow, mature, and form ourselves. And one popular modern way to cultivate self-knowledge and awareness is through these personality typing systems. Right, Lindsay? Right. But guess what? It's not modern at all, Michelle. It goes back. (laughs) We always think we're so new, right? We're so macaroni, shall we say? (laughs) Ooh, good tie-in. Well done. But this goes back as far as ancient Mesopotamia and Egypt. Um, The first, though, really in detail writings we have about the four temperaments, which is what we're going to talk about today, um, was by Hippocrates, you know, and he's the famous Greek physician uh, where the Hippocratic Oath comes from. Now, he was the first one to really describe the four temperaments, and it was a medical concept known as humorism or the four humors. And the four humors are essentially our moods, but in a gross liquid form. (laughs) 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 So blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. And now to confuse it even further, these were classified also as hot, cold, and dry, wet. And the word temperaments comes from the word tempare, which means to mix. So all of these elements that I'm talking about could actually be mixed together into nine temperaments, but we're just going to stick to the classic four here. And to be complementary and to be perfectly balanced, Michelle, you'd either have to be warm, cool, or dry, moist. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> and in case you're wondering, because I know you are, uh, warm, cool dominates over cool, dry. <laughs> so, okay, okay. Now let's I've... just let's simplify it a little bit. We'll just go down now to the modern four names of the temperaments that you and I are going to talk about. And these were developed by Galen, and he was another Greek physician, but he lived several centuries after Hippocrates, and he is the one who developed the names sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and phlegmatic. Now, they Mm -hmm. still were mixed with the humors, right? And that went on for a very, very long time. Um, And right up until the 1600s, we can look at an English physician, Nicholas Culpepper, and he was um, a botanist and an astrologer and everything. And he suggested that our humors acted as the governing principles in our bodily health. Now, modern science no longer links these internal gross secretions um, with our personalities. <laughs> Although psychology hasn't really given up, like you were saying, these modern day psychology tests haven't really given up on using these four temperaments as the basis of a lot of psychological um, and psychology type evaluations. 
Yeah, and I I find it interesting, too, that over the centuries, as this theory has continued to develop, there are like other psychologists who have linked it to other things or their own theories, right? But like you're saying, the four temperaments have kind of remained a base. So like even in Plato's um, The Republic, Mm -hmm. right, he talks about his own four characteristics, but they've been likened to each of the four temperaments. They're very similar. And there is um, a a 16th century physician who I don't remember his name because that's not my (laughs) usual lane. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But he likened the four temperaments to each of the four elements of Mm -hmm. fire, water, earth, and air. And actually, this physician added the idea of a fifth element. Mm. But we're not here to discuss Bruce Willis or Mila Jovovich <laughs> today. But ching I've been waiting to wow. make that joke this whole wow. time. <laughs> Listen, for the record, we can totally do a whole episode on Bruce Willis because I'd be so into that. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll stick a, a pin in that one yeah. and we'll come back to that. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, you know, we still even see, like you're saying, the four temperaments being foundational in the more modern personality typing systems like Meyer-Briggs and the Kiersey temperament sorter. Um, And if you're a personality typing enthusiast like me, you've done all of these, by the way. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) Right? So the basic idea is that all of us are predominantly and uniquely one of these four temperaments, the choleric, sanguine, phlegmatic, and melancholic, and that it's going to help us understand a part of our personality that deals with how we react to certain situations and to certain people. Now, I have read that you can be like a dominant one and a secondary one. Do you know Mm -hmm. anything about that? Um, Yeah, I think... I think that's pretty common um, because I heard this in a talk. I think it was Father Ripperger's talk on the four temperaments. Mm -hmm. He talks about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was talking about like the goal is to kind of reach a perfection of all the best qualities of all four. Yeah. Wow. Right. And the model of that. Our our list of things (laughs) we're trying to achieve. Okay. Hashtag be better 2020. Um, but he was saying that uh, the model of this is Christ. Christ mm. was the perfect balance of all four temperaments in their best forms and yeah. in their best ways. So I, I think it's probably really possible that you can have a dominant temperament and uh, a secondary one. And in fact, I see that in myself too. And yeah. we'll get into probably as we talk about the temperaments, how we see ourselves. Yeah. Um, but it, like they're they talk about the temperaments being kind of a uh, raw material mm. right so it's what you are as a person and they say it's physiological too so mm-hmm. that kind of ties in with the whole bodily humors mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. fluids thing so it is a physio- physiological thing uh that you're that you're born with but it's uh, it's how you will tend to react before you are influenced by education and environment and culture and upbringing and things of that nature. So I think that there is a potential to change and to grow, maybe even to shift and to have a predominant and a secondary temperament. 
I think this is even more fascinating as I've journeyed through motherhood. And I'm sure you'll agree as you know, we have eight kids Mm, between us and I swear, I'm not even making this up. I knew my kids temperaments while they were in the womb. And I, and I'm not talking, I Mm. I hadn't studied the actual temperaments at that time, but I knew who they were and they were exactly how they were in the womb as they were as newborns. Jason and I were just talking about this and as babies, and they are the same kids now as they're approaching their teen years, my kids have not ultimately changed the foundation of who they are. And you can Mm. see that. And it's funny, right? Because at nearly 40, we want to believe on one hand that we can still change so much, but on the other hand, we are like, well, that's just how I am. Like it's that constant (laughs) struggle. It's the the nature nurture. I mean, this is something we've all talked about, but as a mom, I can honestly say from like a scientific point of view, you can step back and I can look at my four kids and go, yeah, you can see characteristics that have been there since the day they were born. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's so true. And that is, that is the raw material aspect of the temperaments. Um, when I was reading the book, The Temperament God Gave You, this mm-hmm. is written by Art and Lorraine Bennett. Um, they are actually saying that the temperament is not an excuse, right. which I find really interesting. So uh, what you're saying is like these these things are just a part of who you are. On the flip side of that, I found it interesting to be reminded that, um, you know, who you are still has challenges that you need to overcome. Yeah. And so when you learn your temperament, there's going to be positives and negatives to each one. And you can't just sit there and be like, well, it's because I'm phlegmatic or, well, it's because I'm a choleric. I'm just like that. Uh, The whole purpose is to uh, acknowledge where you need to work and to grow. And so therefore we can all get better. And um, I think it's really interesting to think as a mother, like what you're talking about, Mm. if we can work on it ourselves and have that kind of self-awareness, then we can teach our children how to do it for themselves too. And it just adds another resource in their toolbox as they continue to grow and develop in holiness. I think too, and and I know that I believe those same people wrote then the temperament God gave your spouse and the temperament God gave your children. Yes. And I think that yeah. when we um, step back and not just make it all about ourselves, which is all the fun of doing those personality quizzes, right? Mm. Like it's all about me, me, me. <laughs> what, who, tell me more about me. Um, <laughs> I'm choleric. Can you tell? We'll get there. Um, so, <laughs> so, but when we spend the time looking into perhaps the temperament that God did give our spouse or our children or anybody else we're close with, there can be more grace with them as well. And again, it's not this forgiveness and being like, well, that's just how they are. They're never going to change. But that in the same tone, that is sometimes who they are. And we can maybe be a little bit more merciful with the people that we love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So before we get into what each temperament is, um, I think it's probably good to just define really quickly what a temperament is. <laughs> Mm. Um, so a temperament is actually different from our personalities, uh, whereas our personalities encompass everything about us, our likes, our emotions, our behaviors, our thought patterns, etc. Um, the temperament is more, uh, it speaks to what our indication is of our preferences and our tendencies, and in particular, our reactions to things and the impressions that they leave on us. So that is what the temperament is telling us. It's like one aspect of our personalities, but it isn't what you would call our entire personalities. 
Okay, so let's actually get into the four temperaments specifically. Okay, so let's start with sanguine. These people are highly talkative, they're enthusiastic, they're active, they're social, they're just super positive. Um, But on the flip side, they have sometimes no filter. (laughs) They don't know when to stop speaking. Um, They can be very hyperactive and they can be forgetful. They also, though, fear rejection. They don't want to make a bad impression. They're your typical people pleaser. Um, So they're just often the life of the party, right? And Mm -hmm. they're just really, really approachable and fun. Mm-hmm. Are you like looking into my life? Because this is exactly me. <laughs> yeah, I would say this is you for sure. Okay. Yeah, I totally identify as a sanguine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sanguines. So each of the temperaments, actually, it's very interesting. They have a description of how they react to things and then mm-hmm. how long the impression of that reaction lasts. Wow. So f- for sanguines, they have a quick, strong reaction. Mm-hmm to things and to people and with a very short and faint impression <laughs> so it doesn't <laughs> last long <laughs> I have to say when I first read about the temperaments and I started reading about sanguines it it actually was a huge relief for me mm. because I always felt like there was something wrong with me mm. that I was very flighty right, right. and uh, while that is true, and that's something I have to overcome then to be a little bit more constant, um, it, it's not just me. And there's yeah. a kind of a comfort in that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so sanguines, you know, they're easily and quickly attracted to new things. And I think that that's what makes them friendly and outgoing. And e- it's easy for them to talk to people. Yeah. And like you said, very eager to please, mm-hmm. which can be both a positive but also a negative. Right. <laughs> It's hard for me to talk about the negatives because it's so personal. <laughs> um, but like I was saying, it can come across sometimes as superficial mm-hmm. and we are inconstant because our reactions happen so fast. They change so fast and often without proper consideration. So it sometimes means that sanguines can be hasty in judgment. Um, we can be prone to vanity, prone to flattery, um, sometimes envy. And we rely too much on our feelings and our emotions. So, yeah, uh, sanguines can also be a little bit too talkative. <laughs> uh, we have a podcast. <laughs> uh, this podcast was a good fit. Um, but they put their foot in their mouth very often. <laughs> um, on the flip side of that, because they're eager to please people, they don't often find it difficult to apologize because oh. ultimately they just want everyone to love them. So to overcome some of these uh, challenges and obstacles, it's recommended by priests. Father Wolf and Father Ripperger both have great talks on the subject, and they uh, really recommend that a sanguine tries to avoid bad company because they're influenced a lot by the pleasures. Um, so they're prone to things like gluttony or lust and things like that. So to avoid, ba- avoid bad company when possible. And to develop virtues of detachment, silence, temperance, modesty, and chastity. And you can do that practically every day in little forms of self-denial every day, like little mortifications. And that will help to strengthen the will so that you have a little bit more self-control. And uh, if you're looking for examples uh, of saints with a sanguine disposition, you're in good company. You have like St. Augustine. St. Teresa of Avila, St. Rose of Lima, and St. Francis Xavier, all sanguines. 
Now, the next one is cleric. And this is what I am 100%. (laughs) And being like this, when I was reading it, so like how you were saying you felt like you weren't alone when you were comforted by reading the description of you. Mm -hmm. I was reading this Mm -hmm. and the good and the bad. I'm like, yes, yes, this is totally what I am. I was like, (laughs) just so ready to own it. And at the other hand, I'm like, yeah, I totally knew this already. Whatever. Like. Which is such a choleric reaction. Yes, yes. Okay, so we're even more extroverted than sanguines, um, but we're really independent. Oh, I'll just keep saying we. <laughs> so we, we do. <laughs> okay, we'll try to be a little more detached here. Um, so they are decisive and goal-oriented. Uh, we can run on very little sleep, which I talk about mm. actually all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Quick thinking full of plans and but the plans are very practical so we're not dreamers like the plans are you know incredibly realistic and um rational social very social can make friends quickly like sanguines the difference is though that we don't need a lot of friends so we make them very quickly Mm -hmm. but then have a very small group uh and then slow to anger but we mm-hmm. come off as being angry all the time because of a very direct tone <laughs> because yes. we just don't understand why other people aren't catching up, right? And keeping up with us. Um, so it can be misconstrued as anger, very stubborn, tend to be controlling and uh, won't submit. But oh, these things though on the plus side means that clerics don't submit to peer pressure very easily. It's very hard to lead a cleric um, into doing something that they're just not going to do. Yeah, the classic go-getter. I look at cholerics and I am in awe. So yeah, I'm in awe of you, Lindsay. And <laughs> <laughs> just the way that cholerics are able to decide things very quickly. They're very confident. Mm-hmm. They're dynamic. They're direct. And I really just love how efficient uh, cholerics are. So yeah, some of the obstacles and challenges that face the cholerics, like you said, they're prone to anger because they have so they're so passionate, right? Mm-hmm. Um the danger is that if it's left unchecked, the choleric might risk becoming really utilitarian mm-hmm. in how they see people and situations. So that can make them become or seem domineering or hard to other people. Yep. And they tend to be a little bit impatient with people <laughs> who they don't think are moving fast enough oh or, <laughs> yes. or up to snuff. <laughs> this is very awkward to say oh to you. Oh my gosh, it's so true. <laughs> So you're in good company too, though, famous cholerics. Okay. You have in the Catholic faith, you have St. Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, St. Paul, come on. Right, yep. <laughs> um, St. Jerome, St. Mm-hmm. Francis de Sales. Do you think Padre Pio was one? That's got, I've, he must have been. Ooh, yeah, I think so. I can't, sometimes I want to say I can peg a temperament only because I can't see them as anything else. Mm-hmm. Right, yes, right? right, yeah. And I can't, I can't see Padre Pio being anything <laughs> other than. Let's talk about melancholics now. And Mm -hmm. what I found is so interesting is that we even just hearing the word, we think we already know what it means, but we don't. And there's just so much, so many more facets to these personality traits that I think are fascinating. So somebody I would identify as melancholic, um, they're analytical, detail oriented. They're a deep thinker and feeler, often introverted, and they hate being singled out, anxious. And they also kind of like sanguine seek um, perfectionism but not so much as a people pleasing as actually wanting to be a perfectionist. Um, They're a rule follower. They're not depressed. Like the word melancholy would imply 
Rather, they're cautious. They worry about the future and they also agonize over things that they did in the past. Uh, They're often well-organized and they gather information in order to make the right decision, but not necessarily to be right, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, I love that they're just so sensitive and idealistic. I think that's the big thing. Like they're so deeply concerned with justice Mm. and they have this tendency towards piety and the interior life. Um, In the book, The Temperament God Gave You, it says that a melancholic so longs for heaven that everything on earth falls short, Wow! (laughs) which I thought was such a beautiful way of putting it. So they, they tend to be big picture thinkers. And I think that goes with the idealism. So although, you know, the book says sometimes they can be stumped by smaller details. Um, However, these are the people you actually want to have around in the event of a really big crisis. Mm. And one theory says it's because um, they tend to live with the expectation that the other shoe is going to drop. Mm. So they've already mentally prepared for it to happen. And so if something does happen, they're usually the ones ready to go. They've already kind of done preliminary work in assessing so some of the things that they have to, uh, you know, struggle to overcome is that they they sometimes surrender too easily. They can be overly reserved, except with their close friends, um, or overly serious. And they are prone to uh, they are prone to sorrow or fear. But to just as long as they are okay with paying attention to you know overcoming. Uh, feelings of self-pity or resentment if they feel like they're being treated unfairly. Uh, They should strive to develop a joyous attitude. They can keep custody of the mind in regards to sad thoughts. So something occurs to them that makes them feel sad, just uh, actively working on keeping it in check and developing a spirit of prayer because they are already naturally inclined towards the interior life. Um, Developing a, a spirit of prayer will come easily to them and will feed them with peace, uh, which is really great. And then um, famous saints with the melancholic temperament would be St. Bernard, St. Aloysius Gonzaga, and St. Therese, the little flower. The last one is phlegmatic. And these people are relaxed, peaceful, quiet, and easygoing. They're sympathetic and caring. Yet they can also hide their emotions, and so they'll—they're the bur- the barriers, barriers. How do you say that? you barrier emotions? <laughs> um, yes. These people are often the ones who are service oriented. They want to help others. They're agreeable and patient. They all can also, though, have a tendency to resist change. They like things how they are. Um, these people prefer to have quiet lives at home with their families are, are incredibly loyal. But if you cross them, you're kind of out, you know, because they're so loyal. Mm. So if you do tend to hurt them, they tend to not forget that. Mm. That's interesting because, you know, they do have a tendency for diffusing tense situations mm. and they do like to avoid conflict, but it's just that their fuse is so much longer, yeah. I think, than the other three temperaments, but they do still have one. And they probably think <laughs> so that I've given this that. so many chances, right? I've given mm-hmm. somebody so many chances that when they're done, they're done. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And, you know, they have such a constancy and a patience and a perseverance that they're probably right yeah. <laughs> when it comes to that, right? <laughs> Um, So, yeah, some of the things that phlegmatics can kind of struggle to overcome is that they don't like a lot of risk. So they can appear unambitious or they can appear to lack enthusiasm or interest in the events around them. And they can be a a little bit too 
keen on keeping the peace. Mm -hmm. So they're a little bit more prone to defer to uh, peer pressure um, in order to avoid conflict. You know, so things that they can try to do is just to develop a deep conviction um, of self and of what they believe in, because once they fixate on the principles and the convictions they believe deeply in and order themselves towards those things, their loyalty kicks in and they become a, a real strength, like a real rock and a foundation that people can really depend on. And so um, phlegmatics, they have a slow, weak reaction at first to stimuli and they have fairly uh faint impressions. So they are a little bit more open-minded and adaptable and flexible. So these are the really easygoing people that are easy to be around and make friends easily. Saints with the phlegmatic temperament, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas is said to have been a phlegmatic, and Pope St. John the Twenty-Third. Mm. The Roman numerals got me there for a second. <laughs> And and not a saint, but um, saint-like in today's uh, celebrity world, Keanu Reeves Ooh. is a phlegmatic. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't want to be like Keanu Reeves? Mm -hmm. So there you go. I think I'm pretty happy to be married to a phlegmatic. <laughs> mm, I think I am too. Yeah. <laughs> it works out well for us who are really more extroverted, right? Because both of our, even though you and I have yes. different temperaments, they we share a lot of commonalities with our two. So it's, we need somebody at home calming us down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But who's also really just interested in listening. Oh my gosh, right? yes. Because phlegmatics are so empathetic, right? They're they're really willing to listen. And so for a choleric and a sanguine yes. temperament, where we have all the ideas all the time without stopping, yeah. um, the phlegmatics are such a gift. They're such a gift. Jason and actually so... said that to me yesterday. We were sitting and he said, I really like listening to you. I'm like, are you just saying that? <laughs> because <laughs> and you're like just letting your mind wander. And he goes, no. He goes, that's why I call you every time on my drive home from work. He goes, and say, talk to me. He goes, you have so many things to say. And I'm really interested. I'm like, that's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Thank you so much for being Aww. phlegmatic. I'm going to write that in as Valentine's Day card. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It should just have a picture of the bodily humor on the front. <laughs> oh my gosh, we Valentine's yes. Day. Oh, you're giving us a new we should develop a line of greeting cards now from the Modern oh Lady podcast. <laughs> Excellent. More merch from See how we're already store. planning something. We can't just we're all of a sudden like, hey, wait no. a sec, that's an idea. Focus. Yeah, okay, okay. Back. Focus. Yeah. Focus. But I like what you're saying about this relationship between you and Jason mm -hmm. and how your temperaments really play into it. Because um, like we were saying earlier on in the show, I think something really important to remember is even though this helps us in our own growth, mm -hmm. this also helps us relate to other people. Like if we can understand how our spouses work, how our um, siblings work, how our children work, how our coworkers work, we can be aware of what's not what's going to reach them and what isn't, right? Um, so to stop approaching everyone the way we are and start recognizing how they are, and we can be much more effective that way. And I think it would mean a, a more peaceful culture and a peaceful community if everyone just kind of had a bit of a mind towards it. And there's just one more quote that I would love to end on today. It, it was included in Father Wolf's homily on the temperaments, and he is quoting Father Antonio Royo Marin, who says, quote, If we were to attempt to delineate the perfect temperament, 
we would select the best qualities of each. Thus, we would take from the sanguine, his sympathy, his generous heart and vivacity. From the melancholic, the depth and delicacy of feeling. From the choleric, his inexhaustible energy and tenacity. And from the phlegmatic, his self-control, prudence and perseverance." End quote. And I just thought that was a beautiful summary of all the best parts of the temperaments. And it just gives this amazing vision of how each of us can strive to excellence in our own particular temperament and what that could do to transform our communities. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Michelle, I know you've been eagerly waiting to find out what our new family show is. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's a day, okay? Um, So we had decided to try Lost in Space on Netflix on a whim, totally on a whim. We knew nothing about it, but we tried it, and we had all four kids in the room with us. And from the first few minutes, we were completely riveted. It is pure chaos. It's so stressful. My son Deacon was like actually trying to climb the wall. Like he was like, his body was standing on the couch and like moving higher and higher up the wall that we were so stressed out. And sometimes it's a little scary. So I think your kids are too young, Um, but it is Hmm. so well written and it's visually stunning. And, but I think the best part is that I just love how it shows the bravery and intelligence and tenderness and grit of the women in the show. But on the flip side, on equal footing, it shows the self self sacrifice and strength and protective force of the men. And, and I think Mm. that even the characteristics I just listed can actually just be interchangeable between all the characters. But what I love is that it doesn't pit the women against the men and it doesn't make a a mockery of true masculinity and it doesn't show women using their power to dominate. Like it just really lifts Mm. up and enhances the the human element of both the women and the men and how they work together. It's absolutely fascinating how they show that in a family dynamic within a marriage and the marriage of the two characters as on the brink of ending when the show starts and just how they take those strengths and save their family. It's just such a great show. Wow. Wow. It is really rare to find a show that is balanced mm-hmm. <laughs> in that way. So this is on Netflix, you said? Yep. Yep. And they just released okay. season two. So it is, and I hope, I'm sure they'll keep going with it. I'm seeing a lot of buzz about it. And it's just, I, I so my kids are, my little kids watch it and Benny is seven. He gets it and he gets scared. He loves it. He loves the adventure of it. Ellie kind of mm. falls asleep every night, but she's in the room for it. But it get, it is one of the most stressful shows we've ever watched. Every episode is like a cliffhanger, edge of the seat um, stress. It's oh. really, really cool. Amazing. That sounds awesome. And what have you been loving this week? So I have been revisiting old movie soundtracks this week Mm. because sometimes hard to believe, but you know, you're not really in the mood for a podcast (laughs) or an audiobook, right? But never our podcast, (laughs) right? Everybody's always in the mood for the modern lady. (laughs) Oh, oh, of course, of course. But that's 30 minutes out of an entire week, right? Right, right. (laughs) Um, I know, very hard to believe. (laughs) But when I do still want something in my ear, and we've talked about this too, we'll just go to music. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem is that lately I've been feeling a little bit uninspired until I remembered one of my favorite movie soundtracks from back in the day, and I've been turning that on to keep me entertained. So it's actually the Remember the Titans soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) I have just... Yeah, I've just had it on repeat, and I can actually picture the movie in my head as I hear the music, so it really is doubly entertaining for me. 
Um, but yeah, it just started a few weeks ago. And I was in the mood for music that was mellow, but still had a really good beat. And I just couldn't pin down what genre that would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so on a random playlist um, on Spotify, Marvin Gaye's uh, Heard It Through the Grapevine mm-hmm. started up. And I was like, oh my gosh, Motown. Mm-hmm. That's it. This is it. This is what I'm looking for. So then I found a playlist called uh, Motown Soul Number Ones and was binging on that for a while when I finally recognized through some crossovers about the Remember the Titans soundtrack. And that is such a stellar mix of Motown, a little bit of rock, and it's the perfect blend. So... It is an oldie, but it's still a goodie and a reminder for me to you that you, have, if you've forgotten about the wonder that is Remember the Titans, the movie and the soundtrack both still exist and are still wonderfully awesome. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs and you can find me on Instagram at MM Sachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray and you can find me on Instagram at Lindsay Homemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time. <laughs>